is time to tune up the band and bask in the glory of Tranquilo, for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Reardon and Dan, as we continue our journey for the wacky world of professional wrestling. We are deep now into Hispanic Heritage Month and our celebrations of all things Lucha Libre. Fellas, how are you doing this week? I'm pretty Idolo! good. I think someone's happy. Oh, he's funny. Sorry, I had to do the bit. I had to do the bit. I'm pretty good. I am pretty happy. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm doing all right. Things have been busy, uh, mm. as they always are with me. Things. <laughs> things are always complicated. It's been a. The universe says, "I do not want peace. I want problems always." Ah, it's, 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 ain't that blooming true? <laughs> <laughs> that is, in fact, for true, brother. I want to say it's been quiet. I mean, I've been I've been busy in the workshop getting stuff done for peeps, so it's been quiet. Sam I've, Sam's been in the lab. I've been in the lab making sure that stuff gets done. I'm hoping a couple of things get done by the end of uh, next week, and then hopefully I can get on to other things. Um, I can't really tell you what me and Joseph have got going because it's a big thing that's going to span that spa- that has spanned this entire year and kind of we're going to try and get it done by december hopefully to get released after the um, the year in wrestling one one whole year going into this the effort that is put in i mean it it got made a lot easier for us when stuff happened last month but that's <laughs> when, all it, when certain events took place <laughs> exactly that's all i'll say about that but i am very much looking forward to that uh, talking of Joseph, he's been doing a lot of stuff on Terry Funk over on Big Egg, which has actually been a really cool read. Terry Funk. It's been absolutely awesome seeing the stuff that him and Colette have been up to and writing about. So, mm-hmm. anyone who, anyone who has subscribed to Big Egg, this isn't a plug for them, and this isn't me, uh, this wasn't yeah. them asking me to do this, but no, go This, isn't, this is an unofficial go and check out Big Egg. They're it's, very good. Exactly, exactly. Go check out the Big Egg. Anyway, we give you this podcast, thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, guys, we may be busy, but we're never too busy. For pending because we are always pending and always will be let's go <laughs> he's, 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 he's gotten good at this you know 156 episodes in he's getting good he, he, he's getting, oh he's, i'm he's, getting he's, even better he's getting even better baby <laughs> oh, it's like the i to, to paraphrase it i do not fear the man who has practiced 10,000 bits <laughs> once, but I fear the man that's practiced one bit 10,000 times. <laughs> Bruce Lee spot. Are we, are we just yeah. saying the, the Bruce Lee spot? Basically, yeah. I was going to say, it, it, it's really the Bruce Lee of Sweet Jim. <laughs> yo, yo, Bruce Lee, great promo there. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh god! All right, what was what, what? Where are we now? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still here. We're still Sorry. here. Good spot. Good, good snap. Uh, no, before we get onto my episode chronicling the life and career of Andrade El Idolo, it is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun 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 dun. Wrestling news. 
Oh man! All right. The rest where do we want to start? Where do Where do we want to start? The because I've got bi- I've got know. bits I've got bits loaded for either one. The wrestling world, as we know, has changed now with the merger of 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 of, of the Endeavor merger finally happening, and yeah, we, now we, UFC we, and WWE. We do that? Yeah, they formed to right. become TK Holdings Group. Okay, now can I just say, first off, they had a, they had like a special promotional belt oh at the God. unveiling. They're both holding. That is one of the most dog shit looking things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it is so bad. It's so so bad. They, got, they, they are. This is this is this this is a multi million merger that straight up looks like they made their logo in like MS Paint. Oh Jesus! That's that thing looks horrid, doesn't it? And like I oh, that's get, gross. and like I get it, right? Because they're just like they probably didn't put that much effort into it, and they're like, "Hey, TKO," which to be fair is a thing that technically can happen in a wrestling match, but never does. This is true. But but like I get it's all there, and obviously there's one part of this which is to say, "Man, do I love mass media consolidation." Oh God, I love and it. Don't you like? And don't you love it when when the merger at the at the New York Stock Exchange looks exactly like the union of the first Galactic Empire? Jesus. Like I, I I don't I there there are some things about this which I find find additionally difficult. Obviously, one of them is the fact of the two largest players in the combat sports industry joining together to functionally monopolize the market. Um, with, you know, two massive companies that basically control most pay-per-view combat sports events. Yes. Just, like, joining together and making this massive entity, which, you know, this is all... This is all economic theory. People don't come to our podcast for this. I mean, they do, but not properly. (laughs) What do we know about capitalism (laughs) other than it's an inherently bad thing in society? (laughs) But you know, there's 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 all of that to it. But my my really big part of this is about this whole thing they have about trying to integrate these two entities together. Yes, yeah, so which this is, this which is... I which I find as just like I I don't know how to describe it, but the way I'm gonna say it is as like Dana Dana White just like borderline. Well, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say borderline. In some terms, and for some people, functionally like exploits UFC wrestlers. They don't get paid enough on their um, pay per view earnings and whatever. It almost sounds right. Like, it sounds and then, like and then, else, once they it? get, once they get too old, they get sent to the farm in WWE. This is the thing that really is is a bit weird. How they're trying to make this <clears throat> this whole thing. So TKO, TKO have come out and well, I think it's the CEO Ari Emanuel who also owns in the Endeavor Group was very yeah. much like they want to make these big kind of like week long event things. Oh yeah, they were out. like we're gonna go from Friday Friday SmackDown, Saturday UFC, Sunday pay per view, Monday Raw. Yeah, they want to make them like, and, and even with that, they want to make when whenever they're in town, whenever both companies are in town, which apparently is going to be a very common thing going forward. They want to make them week long by having like a media blitzkrieg. They want to make sure they're on every local paper, news story, internet outlet. They want to make it a huge kind of deal that these two companies are together making this 
making huge strides in whatever town they're in. Um, of, of which of this, I think there is one aspect to this which I think maybe is not getting noticed, which is the possibility for UFC events to become like more regular or UFC branded events to become more regular. It depend. They they might just start like absorbing like. <clears throat> I mean, they already functionally control like another half of the subsection underneath them. The only like independent competitor they have is like Bellator. And yeah, and at this point, I don't think they're going to be getting a hold of Bellator anytime soon. I mean, they pretty much gutted all of mixed martial arts as we know it. But uh, but, you, but it'll be like it'll be like Cage Warriors events, like <laughs> all over the place. Which which I mean, theoretically, could be a good thing. Oh no, maybe they could bring. No, I was going to say no. They'll never bring Pride back. <laughs> they they wish they wish they could do pride they could not do pride justice there is not nearly enough corruption in that company to have for that to happen yet <laughs> yet, yet yet i mean they yet. they're in bed with the time. W- they're in bed with the wwe at the moment which by the by really makes me laugh as now an executive chairman of the wwe and being part of the endeavor group vince now has veto power over dana white and the ufc and this is ex- this is extremely <laughs> hilarious because I I like to think that Vince has no understanding of how the UFC works. Yes, he never has. You've heard the story, but but as as, as um as uh our, our good friend IQ um has been saying, <laughs> this is theoretically the seeds for Anokiism Part Two USA Edition. We. <laughs> I, I want it to be a Nokiaism so bad, but they... And do. if it is, then frankly, this could be possibly the most goaded move of all time. I think if, that... if, if Vince accidentally ends up recreating what is function, what would functionally be Pride V2, that would be unreal. I mean, it still won't change the fact that he's an absolute... He's an absolute um, awful human being. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. That, it's that... not changing the... In no way does that ever change that metric at all. That has nothing to do with that. Part of me thinks they they will shit. I, a bit, I don't. Though. I don't think you could be there and say anyone that was involved in the organization of Pride uh, Pride was a, was at all a good person. No, 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 <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. No, let's be honest. They're gonna shit the bed on it, and I don't think it'll happen. But if it does, then well, I well, well, shut me up. But mind you, who? Because like, I'm and- just, I'm just seeing like Vince be like. Oh, what's that? You want to run a UFC event like the on like the same weekend that we have like payback? He's like, no, veto that's, immediately. That's not gonna work for me, dude. <laughs> that's not gonna work for me, brother. Somehow I Yo, feel like Vince Dana... Vince big leaguing Dana White is unreal. I somehow think it's gonna end in a fist fight. I don't know about <laughs> you fellas, but I think there's somehow the presidents of both companies are gonna end up in a fist fight <clears> at one point. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, it, it could be worse. You could have one the CEO of TKO say, saying, you know what, we could bring Test back. That's that. That's hilarious. I I kid you not, he actually said that, Reardon. And because wow. there, there's, no, there, right, there, there's, there's part of it, which is obviously like, oh, wow, that's so dumb. And obviously part of it being like, clearly, you know, it shows what he knows about wrestling. But like, to be so in touch that you know Test, but so out of touch to not know that Test is not alive. 
The fact that <laughs> it's like it's like a really hyper fine intersection. It's funny that Nick Card stood right next to him and actually had to hush him to go. Oh, actually, he died in two thousand nine. But we no, no. because because like <clears throat> if if he was there and said like oh like can you can you bring. Yokozuna big name <laughs> no like, can you can you bring back like big name 90s wrestler mm. right there, there's so many people that he could have that he could have brought up right he could even been like oh maybe we can get billy gunn back right but to go for test <laughs> is so specific Hey, he 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 knows he knows a good big man wrestler when he sees one yeah like 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 it is is he just secretly a massive Test fan? In which case, like, there's maybe one thing about him that's based. But Who like, the hell knows at this I point? Mean, but like, but like, I, I just, I just love the thing of to to know who Test is and not know that he is alive. He's not alive. Uh, if it is was, so specific. I mean, if I were a Brad, I would have said Steve motherfucking Blackman, but that's just. This is what I mean, though. Like he could have picked so many other people, <laughs> and just like it would have been fine. Ah well, well. If there's one thing that's come from this, is that there's going to be a lot of people without a job, which has already started to happen. In oh yeah, there's already been like a hundred plus layoffs. Welcome to yep. corporate merger world. Yep. yep. Uh, well, in other news, uh, some movers and shakers happening in the world of professional wrestling. Yes, the one being, it is uh, the return of Dwayne. The return of Dwayne on SmackDown, eh? Well, I guess this be. I guess this is. Uh, I guess a ripple effect of the TKO, uh, of the of the TKO Holdings Group happening in in that they bring the Rock in to to gauge the numbers. I mean, we've heard about the stories of him and Nick Khan being lifelong friends, so I guess it makes sense yeah. he wants to help his bro out. But then again, let's not forget, right to strike. <laughs> this, 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 bro, this is the thing that we were saying before we started, which is, I find it endlessly funny that John Cena and The Rock have made their returns, have made like notable extended runs in WWE in the midst of a writer's strike. That's yeah. how you know that the right strike's gonna be going on for a while, huh? Like like obviously there's part of it which is like you know, events have happened in such a way to be like that. And like, you know, John Cena's had like been returned been returned for a bit, although I still think that he made his like long term commitment return in again at like the start of the writer's strike. Yeah. My timeline might be a bit wrong, but it is quite funny how those two events seem to line up. <laughs> It is hilarious, frankly. I mean, I mean here's the thing, right? This SAG after um represented, I believe, Dwayne and John. Well, theoretically, they would be because they've they've so been. Well, it depends be pay, though. This would be a pay It depends though because they surely. I don't think it counts. Well, the, but no, no. but do you have? But like, you don't just. I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna be here and say I don't know if this is the case. Do you just? If you like release a, f if you're in a feature release film that goes to cinema, do you automatically become a member of SAG-AFTRA, well, or do you have to like apply to become a member? I believe it's two films, two films with with uh, with credit and, and with you, with you recognized apply, acting credits, and you can you can apply for for SAG-AFTRA uh, representation. So theoretically, they could have just not applied for it. You know what? I, but it, I doubt that they did. Because here's right? the thing. 
you get you get free health insurance if you pass yeah. SAG AFTRA, which is a big reasoning as to why Jesse Ventura got SAG AFTRA. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And like, I don't think so because, like, I think there are rules as to what you can do, especially at that level. Yeah, you have to be. Yeah. You have to be in a union. If I'm, if I recall correctly, so I. It's like I don't see like Zagafra calling the calling the calling John Cena and The Rock scabs for because like for for one thing they would have done it already. But <laughs> but two because wrestling's been so I guess it's so famous well, yeah, re- for re- the wrestling wrestling unionization. Yeah, yeah. And well, it's like, I think the, I think the thing is as well is that again wrestling exists in the phantom zone of entertainment. Yeah, yeah. It's it'd be like it'd be like punishing them if they started to to get up their ballet career again. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, this is yeah. That's true. That is very very true. But yeah, Rock is back to a thunderous applause. Cody Rhodes is now looking to 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 do a pipe bomb of his own, realising that WrestleMania 40 has slipped through his grasp. Bro bro is one billion percent getting stuck in the cleaner's storage room. Yeah. I, that, that, and you know what, that's kind of uh, I think it kind of confirms everything we've, we were worried about with Cody losing at WrestleMania this year. <laughs> oh yeah. I can't believe they did it to him again. Well, I can believe it, but it's still, I can't believe it. Uh, well... Ah oh, well, Cody. Well, I I don't know what to say, buddy. I really, I really, I honestly, really my main, hope... my main, my main thing out of all of this is that WWE have done this whole thing about like, oh, big name return. We're gonna get Austin Theory in with them, and every time Austin Theory just gets big leagues. Yeah, like it's actually unreal how the like the level of people they've tried to put him with, and each time he comes out looking worse. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, I've been there, and I've been there, and said that Austin Theory is the most evolved guy ever, and he wasn't even big in evolve. Like that's the funniest. Like this is this is this is the key part. I, I know there are people out there who are Austin Theory. Like I was going to say truthers, but that's not the right way to say it. So, so. <laughs> um, there, are, there are there are Austin Theory believers out there. Um, and I and I have to ask, please. I feel like there's a better place that you're. Um, your mental effort can go to yes because like with the way things are right now i don't it's not looking good bro <laughs> um on other news though talking about uh, talking about the movers and shakers jade cargill looks to be all but done with aew um she had a last match uh, for the tbs championship against uh, chris statlander on Rampage last night, which was a great match, but with the with, with a heartfelt embrace at the end, it did look like a goodbye. Uh, this also coming with the rumours that Jade is pretty much uh, letting her contract run out uh, with the impression from everybody looking like she's going to WWE. I mean, the thing about all of this is that I, I do agree with what other people have said, which is that WWE actually does suit her better. Mm. It can cover for some of like the the flaws and in terms of where you know in terms of marketing her, I think it does work. the The, the thing with AEW is that AEW is a great place for her, mm. but like ultimately, because when it's been in respect to the women's division, they've just been absolute doo doo. Yeah, and like WWE is not better in any much sense. But like mm. in terms of like a marketing platform, it will be a lot better. Yeah. 
Like, I, I understand. It will only work if she is Jade Cargill. That's, I think that's, that's the long and short of it. If she mm. is just, if she brings everything to that, to, 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 to the WWE, it will work. If they try to package her as something completely different in their vision, I think it's going to not be, it's not, it's not going to be any sort of good return from them. And the problem is, as I think that they will go for the latter. Yeah, I. That's my. That's my problem. Like, that's my worry. On, most. Yeah. On on paper, it's a. On I feel like on paper, it's a it's a good move. Like on paper, that mm. makes make perfect sense. She she certainly has enough bona fides. It's a big enough name, big enough draw, everything. But it's WWE. I've been through this stance before. Like I'm sorry. I want to be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. Yeah. So I'm just I'm I'm honestly with that. I'm just kind of bracing for impact. I, I simply say if you, you want if you want to if you want to do it right, bring her in as Jade Cargill, and let her go over against Becky Lynch for the NXT Women's Championship in her first match back. It just makes sense to do. I know it mm-hmm. seems like it's up like. Fan booking, it seems really out of the realms of ridiculousness, but I don't think you could do it any other better way, honestly. I can't see any other better way of doing it for Jade than to do it that way. Because everyone knows who she is already, so you don't... You, I think trying to repackage her is going to be a bad move. Mm. Yeah, I don't, think it, I don't think it works in the grand scheme of things. Anyway. Otherwise... Anyway, we will find out exactly. Exactly. Is there anything else, Dan, that you want to bring up in in the news, or are we good? Uh, no, I think we're. I think we're good and done. I think that covers most of it. Nice one. Nice one. Okay, recommendation corner. I've got one, but let's go over to our regular recommender, Mister Reardon. So, what have you got for us this week, guys? How do you feel? About the Incredible Hulk. Incredible. Very green. So, very green. Oh, very, very green. <laughs> um, so, my recommendation is the current Incredible Hulk run, which is uh, being written by, and I'm just going to quickly get it, get up his name here, by uh, Mr. Johnson. Yeah. By, oh, there it is. There it is. By Philip Kennedy Johnson. Very good run, um, going the more gothic horror route, which has seemed to have like the horror route has seemed to have worked absolute dividends <laughs> for for the Hulk in the past few years. I love the Hulk. I mean, I'm just recommending the Incredible Hulk as a concept. I love yes. the Hulk. There have been so many good runs. Planet Hulk is incredible. Yes. The Immortal Hulk is the masterpiece. <clears throat> Absolutely, like. Some of the best comic writing in decades, maybe. I like mm-hmm. how how Hulk always goes under the radar of a mainstream audience, but with that yeah. comes some of the best comic writing I think Marvel does. Yeah, it, like Hulk is in the kind of like he's in the midpoint between like Daredevil and Spider-Man levels of quality in yeah. that he's just. A lister enough that you might get some big stuff, but he's just slow enough that you might just suddenly get some low key bangers. 
which is how like you get stuff like Daredevil being some of the most consistently great comics. Yeah. So if you like comics and you want to read something from Marvel, I recommend the Incredible Hulk run. Nice. Nice. Okay. Gentlemen, how do you feel about Hideki Arno? Pretty great. What a guy. Keep taking your meds, Arno. <laughs> <laughs> you know Keep what, on doing that weird thing that you do. That, that's for damn true. Uh, no, the reason I bring up Arno is finally, over here in the UK anyway, we're finally getting an actual Blu-ray release of Gunbuster, which I am so happy about. Because of that, I ended up re-watching the, uh, the OVA series. And uh, man, that thing still holds up. Nice. It's it's so good, and it it just it's like you know this is like the very early um uh, the very early showing of is Arno really okay? Is it is is he is he is he good? Are you good? Because it seems like you're not. <laughs> oh goodness! <clears throat> I feel it's like the feel it's like, the mm. it's the thing of like. There's a certain level of creativity that can only come from questionable, questionable psychological state, and Arno really treads that line. I feel like Gynax has literally been paying him to make animated therapy at this point. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, much. at this point. <laughs> like, the line, like... Like, like, yeah, a... like, at, like, at this point, it's just, like, when, like, a therapist asks you to, like, make a journal of how you're feeling and, like, what's going on, and he just decided to put that into, like, a storyboard. Yeah, yes. That last episode of Gunbuster, especially, if you ask me, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, yes, uh, just because the celebration of that Gunbuster coming out on Blu-ray, finally, yes, highly recommend Gunbuster, everybody. A quick question, actually. Is is um the um the sequel Die Buster? Has that been released in the UK before? Yes, yes, I believe it has. Nice. Uh, that was it. I was just wondering. I was going to say yeah, because uh, that <laughs> that got released. Like, of course, that was two thousand. I want to say two thousand and seven, two thousand six, two thousand seven was Scump uh, with Die Buster, two thousand four. Sorry, so yeah, it got released in 2008, I believe, Die Buster did. So about time that Gunbuster got a release over here. Anyway. Yeah, that's, 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 that's absolutely backwards anyway. Yeah, with, with that, it's time to get on to our main portion of the episode. Our retrospective on Andrade El Idolo. He's gone under many names, but I'll just keep it down to Andrade just for the consistency, <laughs> for consistency-wise. Fellas. How do we feel about Andrade? Of what you've watched about him, how do you rate him as a wrestler in today's climate? Pretty damn great. Just absolute great. Yeah, honestly, yes. I think in terms of luchadors that have gone over to America to try and make a go of it, he was met with a hell of a lot of resistance, but managed to actually come out of the other end of it being over as fuck. Yeah. He, he he really was kind of a grower, weren't he? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if anything, I feel like his backstage antics have, uh, as of late have made me rate him even higher. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, for a guy who for a guy who, 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 who does not like bullshit, for the man to 
try and start a fight with someone who is nothing but bullshit. Is that you rate high on my account? You you rate yeah, look, high. Look, it, it 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 comes it comes with the territory. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> so yeah, no. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 absolutely no. You st- you, you you go. With oh, okay. You're gonna say Dan. I was just gonna say. I feel like on. I feel like Andrade is a a very specific kind of wrestler. Yes. And one that I think. As time has gone on, people have been able to appreciate what he brings. Exactly. Exactly. In terms of the modern day look of Lucha Libre, I want to say that Andrade should deserves his credit as one as one of the uh, as one of the stalwarts of modern mm-hmm. day Lucha Libre. On top of guys like um, Dr. Wagner Jr., Roosh, um, El Hijo del Santo, all of those guys. All of those guys, I think he he should be rated as high as all of those fellas. Anyway, let us get on to the beginning, as we always like to do with these things. Born in November of 1989 in Gomez Palacio, Durango, Mexico, Manuel Alfonso Andrade Oropesa is what a, a third, strong name. Is a third generation wrestling superstar. Uh, his father wrestling under the name. Of Brillante, um, well famous, well known um, luchador, and his grandfather Jose Andrade wrestled under the name of El Moro. He's uh, uh, and he also has uncles as well that wrestled under the names of uh, wrestled under the name of Diamante or Moro Free. His name would be Sergio Andrade. He has a whole load of of Peter like family in the world of professional wrestling. There's, so, it's just just your your classic Mexican wrestling dynasty where everyone and their cousin is a wrestler. So yeah, he's, some of his uncles and relatives include um, Espanto Jr. Uh, or Pentagon, the original Pentagon, Jesus Andrade, uh, Zafiro, uh, or Pentagon Cito. <laughs> okay. Espirito Magico, Juan Andrade. And one of his cousins also works as the current Espanto Junior, uh, currently working for CMLL. So, with his entire family, father, uncles, grandfather, distant relatives being involved in Lucha Libre, and at the time running local promotions and a school in Durango, pretty quickly Andrade wanted to become a professional wrestler. I was going to say, so he had his first match at like 12, right? No, he yeah. pretty much started training when he was five. Basically, it was very, <laughs> similar, it was very similar to the Guerrero family over in yeah. El Paso, where they literally had a wrestling ring in the back garden. And he would just initially just play around with his dad and his uncles. And later began taking his training a little bit more seriously when he wanted to pursue a career like his uncles and father. He would actually eventually make his debut in 2003, one month before his 14th birthday. Jesus there we go. Christ. That's the heritage right there. Oh my God. That is... He's a literal child soldier. I am <laughs> I was, sorry. I was, I was literally about to say... Just for reference, that would be illegal in the UK. (laughs) Funnily enough, Mark Andrews and Pete Dunne began wrestling when they were 12. So what do you say about that, (laughs) Again, they they should not have been allowed to. (laughs) This actually does come with a caveat, though, because his father um, ended up, um, after negotiating with the, the Durango Boxing and Wrestling Commission, 
uh, signed a waiver to have him actually acquire a license from the uh, from the Boxing and Wrestling Commission in order for Andrade to wrestle. He that's becomes... actually that's really interesting. Yes, because that's that's a hell of a case to make. But I assume it probably is done on the grounds of I'm his dad, so he, there's a responsible adult there. Exactly. Yeah, on one hand, responsible <laughs> You're probably adult. like okay then. No, I would love. I would have loved to be in that meeting to go like, how old is he? He's he's fourteen in a month. What are you talking? What are you doing? What are we doing here? Oh, he'll wrestle as he'll wrestle as me. He's wrestling as the son of me, so he'll be Brilliante Junior. Ah, sold. I also like the idea of him. <laughs> it's fine. He's been trading since he was five. Like. <laughs> Again, he's, look, right? he's, he's, he's 14 and he's got nine years of experience, right? He's basically an employer's dream. Jesus, that Oh my the god, Andra- you're the Andra- right. The Andrade family. Man, they, 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 they definitely want to be like the Guerreros, don't they? That's, that is ridiculous. <laughs> Can you imagine if Negative One started doing this crap? It right. reminds it. Who's. Don't tell. Sam, you, Sam you, might remember, you might know this. Yes. Um, the, the Joshi wrestler. I was gonna say Azumi, but it's not Azumi. Although Azumi is like twenty-two and has point, like yes. and has like eight and has like seven years experience. There's there, there's another one. I can't remember her name. It's it's annoying me, but she's like she's like nineteen and has like eight years wrestling experience. Oh gosh, I know which one you're talking about. Um, I can't for the life of me can't remember. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't remember her name, but I just love it because every so often an account tweets about her and then there's like, and then there's someone immediately just always comments just like, oh, she's good for someone with nine years experience and it mentions that she's like 19. (laughs) I love it. So Safety laws be damned. In the up for the art of professional wrestling. Anyway. Yes. So he would predominantly work for his family's wrestling promotion using the name Brilliantes Jr. From 2003 in his debut through to about early 2007. He would usually go under, go be involved with storylines that mostly involved his family members. As you know, safe pair of hands, familial connection. They know how to take care of their own. Um, he most he's most famous one though is when he was getting involved in a storyline rivalry with his uncle who wrestled as Zafio, leading to his first ever Lucha de Apuesta match. He actually was victorious and he won that very first match, forcing Safiro to shave all of his hair off after the match per the Lucha Traditions hair versus mask. Um, he would go on to win a couple more Lucha Apuestas during this uh during his time in his local his dad's promotion. Uh, forcing uh, other wrestlers like Kimura to unmask in the middle of the ring to reveal his real name. Uh, he also would again, uh, and a couple of others um, here and there. I couldn't actually get the actual data off of Cage Match, but I do know that he's had a couple of them. Also, he would do the traditional <laughs> lucha thing of uh, wrestling under many a gimmick under different masks. He also wrestled at this time as Guerrera as Tekka and Ray as Tekka. Um, because, of course, that keeping up that traditional Lutra tradition of getting multiple bookings as different characters. That's Again, I love that. That goes so crazy. 
But it wouldn't be till 2007 that he would catch the eye of Consejo Mundial del Lucha Libre, or as we know, CMLL. He was signed in 2007 and was reported to the training school to be taught under El Satanico, the head trainer of CMLL. He would make his debut... Hi, here's, here's my head coach, El Satanico. Oh, by the way, El Satanico, just... just ah, so good. Such a good guy. With such I feel a, like that's a great introduction when you're meeting people. Which, he has such a crazy career that spans from about 1973 to this day. He's still wrestling on and off at the age of 73 and still training people. Let's throw the 07s in chat, please. <laughs> salute right there. So he began wrestling as a uh, as a technico or a good guy uh, under the name of Brillante, dropping the junior name from his name as a, as a way to pay tribute to his father. But not for very long, because come June of 2007, he would end up being rechristened as The Shadow or La Sombra. Nah, Which definitely. goes hard. La Sombra goes hard. Now, it really does. CMML had other wrestlers and other luchadors working under that name throughout the 80s and 90s. And they decided to rechristen him as a way of carrying on that lineage of La Sombra. But they did acknowledge and promote that this current incarnation of La Sombra had no relation to the previous incarnations at all. Although there This was... is a new La Sombra. La Sombra Nuevo. Uh, although that was slightly acknowledged in a certain way, but rather than kind of acknowledging the previous La Sombras, what Andrade decided to do was actually pay tribute to his father. Kill them. Was kill them, no. <laughs> uh, no, what he decided to do was actually pay tribute to Brillante by using the colour scheme of Brillante and bringing it into La Sombra, having black and silver. Rather than the, good. the traditional ones. Which black and silver is a hard colour exactly. color Exactly. And black and silver just goes so damn well. Um, sure, but in the coming months after his debut, he quickly, and I mean, I'm talking like a like a Kurt Angle style moving up of the ranks uh, uh, of, of the card. The Sombra moved just as quickly like Angle did. Um, the first sign, actually, first signs of them putting their faith in the Sombra came when he, uh, where they would team, where the Sombra would team up with Mystico. In the annual Torneo Gran alternative, I mean, when when it comes when it when it comes to lucha, getting paired with Mystico is is basically the the rocket. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they teamed him up in the Great Alternative Tournament or the Torneo Gran Alternativa, which is basically kind of like a tag tournament where they pair rookies and veterans up and have it. Of course, during the tournament, they have other teams. What do you What do you mean, rookie? By this point, he would have had like fourteen years' experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong, but you you know what I mean. <laughs> In the grand scheme of the CNL <laughs> roster, I guess yeah, having I 14 years experience still means you're a rookie. Now, uh, <laughs> so those, are, those are child numbers. Pump, you got to pump those up. <laughs> <laughs> they would eventually go on to actually win the 2007 Torneo Gran Alternativa, be, uh, defeating the team of Ultimo Guerrero and Euphoria. In, in, in the finals. And in the following month, he would end up eventually having uh, uh, going to win the trio's championship against Los Perros del Mal, or the Bad Dogs, as we uh, noted mm -hmm. and talked about quite predominantly a lot in the, uh, in, the, in the psychosis episode a couple of weeks back. 
So he would go on to win the trio's championships with the team of him, El Sagrado and Volador Jr. He would eventually end up adding another championship in his rookie year, becoming the NWA World Welterweight Champion, defeating the Hajime O'Hara to win that title, making him the youngest wrestler of all time to hold that championship at the age of 18. Dear God. And so basically, they strapped the rocket on him pretty quickly in the terms of how, what he would win. He runs a tournament, he wins the trio championships, he goes on to win the World Welterweight Championship, which... Like, to those uninitiated in the world of Lucha Libre, the NWA World's Welterweight Championship is one of the most prolific, well-known titles in all of Lucha Libre. Like, it's inactive nowadays, but when you it, when you consider it, its history dates back all the way from 1946 to about... Gosh, I mean, I st well... 2013, when it was eventually kind of dropped in in CMLL, it still is around and about today because the rights <laughs> went back to NWA. But you get what yeah, I mean. It's, but they're, it's they're, an incredibly yeah. historic title. They're not using. I'm just very proud of CMLL for being willing to take a belt away so they only have like 35 instead of 36. Exactly. It really cleans up the house and the yeah, paperwork. Really, really just makes things much more streamlined. <laughs> Like, I, like, at this point, I feel like I can focus and understand what's going on now. <laughs> so, 2008, <clears throat> he would not lose any momentum ever, as La Sombra would end up not only defending his championships, but adding a third championship, winning the CMLL World Tag Team Championships as well, after, he, after teaming up with his trios partner, Volador Jr., Unfortunately, though, they didn't last too long as a triple champion, as it only ended up lasting two weeks, where he ended up losing the trio's championships to the uh, to Mexican Power, the team of Sangre Azteca, the Black Warrior, and Dragon Rojo Jr. In 2009, he would eventually end up losing the World Welterweight Championship to Mephesto, and eventually would end up keep uh, losing the um, the the tag championships pretty soon after. In 2009, or 2010 as well, he would begin one of his most famous storyline feuds with El Felino, um, which would end up actually ended up debuting Puma King as well. In oh, wow. Uh, as well, which was quite funny. He would end who, who I think was El Felino's son because he showed up in the El Felino gear as well, which was quite funny. It's quite a little entertaining thing to see. Um... Uh, he ended up distract. Uh, Puma King ended up distracting the referee long enough for El Felino to land a blow on La Sombra to, uh, uh, to win the match. Uh, this would end up going into what they called the stipulation was a lightning match, which is a one fall ten minute time limit match uh, at the Super Vernon. Why show. can't Why can't we have that more wrestling shows? Oh my god! I, I like the, the the idea of a lightning match because in Lucha Libre, of course, they usually are two out of three. Them usual matches are two out of three falls with about with yeah. like, I think about a thirty minute time limit or but between each fall. So yeah. to have like a lightning match, ten minutes, one fall in out, shake it all about. <clears throat> uh, can some can someone show this to bring to British wrestling events, please? <laughs> I wish. I wish this is what this this could be what Brit Rest needs. <laughs> so once again, Puma King tried to help his uh tried to help El Felino, uh but this uh but this time the referee disqualified him for the transgression. So that is one 
one to each man. They would continue the feud, both interfering in matches, um, especially if they had matches between other wrestlers here and there. But this would lead to Mystico, Volador, La Sombra and El Felino being booked in a four-way Lucha de Apuestas match at the main event of um, of the Homage to Two Legends show. In the four-way Apuesta goes crazy. <laughs> yes. Yes. So this was the actual match that where the Sombra was forced to unmask and reveal his real name. He was actually, funnily enough, the first person to be pinned in that four-way match. El Felino was the second person as well. So the two people that had been feuding ended up losing both, both of their masks. So he would reveal his real name and shortly after would continue to wrestle as La Sombra, just unmasked. And um, let me just say that the internet went crazy for <clears throat> La Sombra because he took his mask off and the entirety of Mexico and the wrestling world online went, my God, that man's okay. hot. That okay, <laughs> all right. Is it time to talk about the phenomenon? Yes. All right. Why are so many masked wrestlers so fit? <laughs> right this is a topic i feel passionate about for many reasons <laughs> okay this is this is a this is a worldwide pandemic right <laughs> of people who have very very nice looking faces wrestling under moss and we don't realize till too late <laughs> i think it's just like i don't know Maybe it's they gotta protect. They gotta protect that. They've gotta protect that other money maker, I suppose. Exactly. I'm thinking because if they're wearing masks as well, does that mean that they have an unreal skincare routine, which means that they're like they must infinitely good looking. Like the inside of those masks must be have like like a satin lining or something <laughs> to look after it all. <laughs> you'd think. You'd reckon. You'd hope. Surely. Yeah. <laughs> So, of course, not really much after this, I would say, kind of comes as notes. Um, the one things I can say that he would he would team up in 2010 with Mascara Dorado and thus, uh, La Mascara to defeat the then trios champions of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Okamura and Taichi. Uh, which would which that was a non-title affair and that would actually earn them a shot at the championships the following week. Um, mm -hmm. They would end up defeating them eventually winning those trios championships uh, i feel like i need to go watch some of the matches from this time period they are really good i highly recommend it because i think the relationship between cmnl and new japan was kind of really tight yeah this was when they were really cooking they were really cooking with the excursions and um, talking of excursions the sombra actually ended up traveling to japan to take part in the 2010 best of super juniors tournament um he wasn't success successful uh yeah. May I, may I say, because I believe the 2010 one was won by. Oh, who was it? Who won the 2010? Uh, I'm trying to think of who always wins Prince, best of It was Prince Devitt who won the 2010. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yes. Uh, people. Oh, gosh. This may, this this will take you back, uh, uh, Dan, of who was in this tournament. So we had Jushin Liger, Kota Ibushi, yep. Kashida, yep. La Sombra, yep. Tiger Mask 4. We yeah. had Fujita Hayato, Kenny Omega, Koji yeah. Kanamoto, Raisuke Taguchi, Taiji Ishimori, and Tamatonga. 
Tamatonga in Best of Super Junior feels illegal. It really does. <laughs> the one that's the one that's bugging me is Taguchi because brother's still plugging away now. Yeah, he's, he really he's still is. going. God rest his soul. <laughs> oh man, this is also quite predominant and very well known. Best of Super Juniors, they actually formed a relationship with Pro Wrestling Gorilla. And so that was the yeah. reason why a couple of pro wrestling guerrilla um, wrestlers ended up being in this tournament. Most notably, of course, Kenny Omega. Even though at the time he was still a big part of DDT Pro with Kota Ibushi at this time. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of other ones as well, but there are a couple of others that I actually don't want to mention the names of. Because, yeah. yeah. Be, once you look at the list, Dan, you'll know why I don't want to mention it, that. It's, one just, a, it's just a big, extremely loud buzzer sound. Yes, exactly. <laughs> After that, pretty much, he would end up jumping to and from uh, New Japan and CMLL here, there, and everywhere. Um, he would end up capturing the world, the world, the world historic welterweight championship from Mephesto for a second time in 2011 eventually going on in 2013 to win the Reyes del Air tournament and this leads us all the way quite uh, um uh quite lovingly into his most notable and quite possibly his most famous time in CMLL which was the faction known as Los Ingobernables so, let's take you to the 80th anniversary show of CMLL. La Sombra and Volador Jr. defeated the team of Atlantis and Ultimo Guerrero in a Ravelos Suicidas match, and thus advanced to a mask versus mask apuester against each other, and at the end, La Sombra was victorious, forcing his rival Volador Jr. to unmask. Now, to say that the main event was not well received, as they were expecting, as the crowd was expecting a match between Atlantis and Ultimo Guerrero, was an understatement. As a matter of fact, yeah. during and after the match, they kept chanting fraud during the main event. <laughs> oh, shit. And That's one, rough. And wanting refunds back. And if you know anything about Lucha Libre and Lucha Libre fans in Mexico, um, you don't want to piss them off. <laughs> I do. I do yeah. like the the concept though of like the 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 lucha libre thing is when the match has been really good, you give the wrestlers money, and then this is the inverse. They're like, no, pay us. Yeah. <laughs> so they're uh, just there. They're just there, just throwing, just throwing in like debt paperwork. No, so, give me money. <laughs> so despite the fact that La Sombra was booked as the Technico. The fans rallied against uh, rallies behind Volador Jr., giving him all of the support, which ended up eventually doing a double turn during the match, leading everyone to boo and heckle La Sombra. Um, after that, though, I think the booking team and the president of CMLL saw that they could make some money out of this and decided to present La Sombra as more of a Rudo. This then would hit see La Sombra form a partnership with the most based luchador in modern wrestling, Roosh. They're just meant for each other. They just have that angry energy. Yes. If if I what I love about Roosh and La Sombra during this time is that they were just two 
incredibly fucking pissed off guys just wanting to beat the shit out of people. And really, when you think about it, that's wrestling at its core. That is all you really want. Exactly, exactly. I love the fact that both of them, though, refuse to acknowledge themselves as Rudos, instead calling themselves as Technicos Diferentes, or a different kind of good guy. See, and this is, this, is, this is the thing I love. It's just the simplest bit of playing on tropes, and then you're already there. Like, yes. it, it, it's not that difficult. And what I love about this is that American wrestling fans act like this is some kind of mythical concept. <laughs> <laughs> so, come June 6th, with the help of Roosh and La Mascara, La Sombra would defeat Volador Jr. to win the NWA World Historic Welterweight Championship, which were where also the uh, Sombra's historic middleweight championship was on the line, thus unifying both NWA championships. Eventually, though, the trio of La Sombra, Roosh, and La Mascara was eventually named the Ungovernables, or Los Ingobernables. Which, again, goes so hard. I, what a great name. And Los Ingobernables. Basically, what they decided to do was they wanted to make their look to be imagine the Mexican Mafia. Not a cartel, but the Mafia, <clears throat> but Mexican. Dude, it's so good. Like, honestly, so based. Again, it just makes me so like so happy that these guys would come out in full three-piece suits as their See, entrance gear. This was, this was my thing I was going to say. Wrestlers getting beaten up, right, on one end, and on the other end, wrestlers getting beaten up, but the wrestlers doing the beating up are in suits. Yep. Yes. Come on, people. We know where we want to be. So let's just say that these guys were absolute heat magnets, drawing the ire and the fury of a Mexican crowd no matter where they went. Genuinely, this I'll get to this story eventually, but to to just kind of sum up the beginnings and little bits more of success for Los Ingobernables and the Sombra in particular, he would make it to the finals of the 2014 Universal Championship Tournament, for, uh, losing ultimately to Ultimo Guerrero. He'd eventually go on then to win the 2015 Reyes del, del Air Tournament as well in 2015. But this brings us to July of 2015. Where the uh, where their heel tactics and their rudo status would actually end up to come more become more harm than good for them. So, July twenty first, the Sombra and Rush were involved in an incident in Guadalajara where they were attacked by fans who were throwing beers at them during a match. Needless to say, this draw the ire of both of them, and pretty much they scarpered very quickly because they realised that if they keep going here, they're probably going to get killed. <laughs> this. I mean, of... hey, it's good heat. <laughs> so, here's the here's the kicker and the uh, and the fallout from this one. The next day, Jalisco's Boxing and Wrestling Commission suspended the two from wrestling in the state for three months. While the commission only suspended them for wrestling in Jalisco. CMML though decided to pull both of them from their uh, from their Super Vernes show three days later. Um, they didn't offer an exp official explanation for the change, but I believe the rumors and the rumblings were they just don't want another incident like that happening again. See now, 
if this was real lucha, <laughs> they would have been put on the different masks and wrestled the show anyway. Exactly. Real real lucha would find them the nearest venue outside Jalisco city limits. <laughs> Be like, well, technically, we're not in the administrative area of Jalisco, of the city of Jalisco. I'm just saying. Oh gosh, yeah, that that's that's how you do it. That's how you do it, basically. <laughs> that's how you should have done it. So over the summer 2015, uh, Los and would find themselves basically laser focused on Atlantis, attacking him on multiple occasions. And basically doing the most dishonorable thing a Rudo faction could do. Ripping the masks off of their opponents. Atlantis especially. Uh, as just to show complete and utter disdain for yeah. the veteran Technico. So, in August, the Sombra would end up eventually losing the World Historic Middleweight Championship to Ultimo Guerrero. Which ended up capping off a two and a half year reign with the championship. One of the longest in the championship's history. You see, you can do it well, Roman. You just need to be more of a bastard Rudo. I feel like I feel like as well though, Lucha has a very different approach to it. Yeah. <laughs> Lucha companies will see someone holding a belt for two and a half years and be like, yeah, that's alright. I mean you look into you look at, you look into the histories of it like after a short after a short run of three years. <laughs> So eventually Atlantis would actually end up having a victory uh, uh, would conclude this feud with one another at the 82nd anniversary show. Um, uh, that was that uh, Atlantis would eventually win that one and that would set the seas for Roosh and La Sombra having issues with one another which then would lead to them two having a really great match in in November. If you've if you've not seen it I highly recommend it because these two what I love about Roosh is that he's completely unforgiving in his offense and will make it look like he's beating seven bells of crap out of you because he is beating seven bells of crap out of you. <laughs> There's one moment where he does a headbutt to Andrade's chest and um, Andrade doesn't need to sell it to go down because Roosh puts his entire body into that headbutt and knocks oh, Andrade. I was going to say oh, no. the, the, key, the key part. The key part with this is that Roosh is just doing a shoot headbutt. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's, that's gross. That's, that's the secret, gross. That's the secret technique to it. He does. He doesn't do the Shibata using his forehead though. I do appreciate Roosh for aiming with the top of his dome into the chest. Oh no! He so what? He used like the that's the use the full hardest part of your head yeah that's it's, it, it's it's like the thing of people like man Roosh is running knees in the corners absolutely gross i'm like yes that's because you're actually mean people in the face Look, Britain, there's a reason why he's called el toro blanco where he's <laughs> like, oh, like, like there, there, there's there's no there's no myth about like oh wow it's crazy how he tries to like help out the the like protect or anything no he just knees people in the face like so, so remember remember roosh is colorblind you know, because i was going to do the whole ball thing is that he, nah. doesn't, he doesn't mind red he just doesn't like movement <laughs> he just... <laughs> no, no, this, the reasoning as to why this ended up becoming a thing and then they would end up after that match reconciling one another one with one another is that the big rumor coming out was that wwe were incredibly interested in bringing in andrade to their company. Eventually, in November, pretty much soon after that match, he signed a developmental contract with WWE, 
reporting to the Performance Center to begin his career and eventually getting on to NXT. This brings us, of course, to WWE. So, sorry that I had to do such a huge kind of spiel of the Lucha thing, but I wanted to kind I of mean, condense it a man, little bit as well, because he had bro, such a prolific bro, career. Bro, the man started at five years old. We're always going to be here for a while. <laughs> so, the one thing um, Andrade always kind of, uh, at this time, uh, was a thing, an oversight, I believe, that WWE had, is that Andrade didn't know English. And so, basically, the reason why he was sent to the Performance Center and eventually to NXT was so that he could actually have English lessons. That's really See, interesting. Like that, like that's that's a really cool approach to it of just being like, "Look, we'll get you in. We'll do the other bit as we go." So, one of the trainers who was also fluent in Spanish actually took Andrade under her wing to help him improve his English language skills. Uh, I think it would believe it was Sarah Stock, who's actually now a producer and a coach in AEW, funnily enough. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he would eventually just get his skills up, show off what he was doing at the Performance Center. People were quite high on him because he had a very different sort of lucha style. Not only, of course, having the very flashy, high-flying techniques. But also, also just elbowing people in the neck. I guess this comes a lot from being under the influence of Roosh for the longest time. I was going to say, yeah. any amount of time spent around Roosh probably means that you've learned at least somehow to like punch someone's lights out. Yeah, I've just kind of, it is very interesting with Andrade because he's kind, he's quite a tall dude. For a little like, dude, yeah. he is quite yeah. tall. He's like, He's well, like around your height, something like no, that. No, funny enough, he's actually in terms of lucha libre, he's quite tall. But in terms of American wrestling, he's not that tall. He's billed as five foot nine. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you've ever seen him in certain uh, instances of interviews and stuff, he's not the tallest dude in the world. Well, but... I was gonna say, do you know what the thing with Andrade is? Mm. Man's got shoulders. Yes. Yeah. This is gonna say, like most luchadors, what he lacks in height, he makes up for in width. Mm. Bro, I mean, like not as much now in his AEW run, but to be fair, like, he's older, he's doing a different style now. But bro was lean with shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely was. Absolutely was. So he would make his in-ring debut. At a tamp in what they call the Citrus Run, basically the NXT house show runs in 2016, wrestling under the name of Manny Andrade, defeating Riddick Moss. Manny Andrade. Manny, Manny. Manny Andrade. Yes. Who chose Manny? Oh, okay, but he's not a Manny. He straight up is not a Manny. No, he's not a Manny. His, his name may be Manuel, but no, he's not a Manny. He's not a Manny. Yeah, but I feel like Manuel Andrade goes better than Manny. <laughs> yeah, like Manuel Andrade has a is a you know that's a nice name. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't even mind Emmanuel Andrade. Yes, yeah, that's fine. But Manny just does not work. It doesn't Manny work. Un Manny Andrade sounds like a stand-up comedian and it not really in a good does. way. It really does. It's the yeah. support act for Gabriel Iglesias. Yeah. That's the dude I was thinking of. Yeah, that's it. Like, nah, it just doesn't work. I don't know why. Manny Andrade sounds like like the in a sitcom, and there's like a there's like a Mexican family that live next door. Yes. Yeah. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> so he would eventually make his 
full crowd debut at a show at a takeover, believe it or not. It was a takeover Dallas in a dark match with Christopher Gerard, who, of course, we know as Only Lorcan, aka Biff Busick. God. Yes. Hey, was... that's a hey, hey, that match sounds like it slaps. From what from all intents and purposes, I've seen a couple of uh, reviews on Cage Match. That match did go, but they weren't given enough time. That's yeah, I, I feel I feel like um, Biff Busick and Andrade are cooking. That absolutely works. mostly mostly just because it is actually potentially two people just hitting each other for shoot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was a month later that Andrade was finally given his new ring name, Andrade Cien Almas. Hell yeah! That one just so much better. <laughs> And he would make his full-on debut, television debut, at TakeOver The End, defeating Ty Dillinger. Now, ten. this is where it gets weird. Because after a quite, a quite a good start there, rocking within that system, going on citrus runs, everything here, he quickly became Jobber. Um, as evident at Bro TakeOver Brooklyn 2, he would be the person to defeat the debuting Bobby Roode. And after that, pretty much became Jobber Extraordinaire. Um, he ended up being in the Dusty Tag Classic with his partner, Cedric Alexander, losing to the Revival. At this time, he was portrayed as a plucky lucha face. Um, and at this after that loss to the Revival at the Dusty T Classic... He would turn on Cedric Alexander, thus turning heel in the process. And so we're quickly sowing the seeds for the kind of like the final evolution of Andrade Cien Almas. He's becoming a lot more brash, cocky. He's becoming basically everything we wanted him to be when he debuted in NXT yeah. as the Los Ingobernables version of Andrade. Eventually, this would lead. This story would lead to a fatal four-way match to determine the new number one contender for the NXT Championship. He was eventually eliminated from that, though, by Roderick Strong. And eventually, this would lead these two to a takeover match at San Antonio in 2017, where Almas lose to Roderick Strong. Now, this brings us to Zelina Vega. Under the uh, now at this time, Andrade was still almost there, but still quite struggling with English, and basically needed a mouthpiece in order to be able to get over his his heel work, and of course to do kind of relax him off of doing promos at like word heavy promos, and so brought in Zelina Vega. Now this just is basically my example I always use for. If you have a wrestler that doesn't speak English first language, just get someone to translate, make them part of the character. Alex Abrahante right? is it's probably the best It's not hard. Alex Abrahante, Zelina Vega, they could have done it with Shinsuke forever ago, but just didn't. Yeah, they, they, only, discovered, they only discovered subtitles, what, yeah. three weeks ago? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, it's not some mystical concept. Most wrestlers are going to speak a language that most people can easily you can easily account for. Yes, right. 
obviously, if you have a wrestler from what in whatever situation that speaks a language that's difficult to account for, then yeah, okay, that's tough. Mm. But like in the wrestling world, I feel like it shouldn't be too hard to find a person that speaks Japanese and English or Spanish and English. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm let sorry, alone like, Spanish and English yeah, in yeah, the no. USA. Yeah, yeah, Spanish, no excuse. Like, zero. <laughs> they are they are fucking next door. Yeah. Don't give me that. That's bollocks. If they, if they are telling me they could not find a single person who is entertaining and that could also speak um, Spanish and English in, at least, in even just the state of New York, they are lying have, to you. I have <laughs> seen you... In the past, like, couple of years, I have seen more jokes about white people not being able to speak Spanish than ever before. Like, Listen, learn. Like, there's a reason ridiculous. why I, a re- it's a reason I'm learning Spanish, actually, as we speak, is because I actually want to get more acclimated and understand a little bit more of Lucha Libre without having it, to it, it, constantly it's re- like re- the, um... rely on and, subtitles. Yeah. And, it's, and like the, it's like the thing of when WWE would do Canada shows, and then you know, they'd, like, get like screwed up about themselves about Sammy and Kevin speaking French. Yeah. I'm like I, I don't understand the problem. I mean even with You that, literally like, simulcast into French. I mean the slight thing is that um I do know like like Quebec French is slightly different. Oh yeah yeah it is it's, it's, it's slightly not... different. But yeah. fun fun fact there's a whole separate broadcast section <laughs> for the <laughs> For Quebec French for WWE, <laughs> and, and and as a quick side note as well, Spanish is not that hard a language for English no. speakers anyway, like, because the grammar because yeah. the grammar is the same. You I'm are literally just that. learning the words. Legitimately, in terms of what I've been learning so far, in terms of Spanish, that like it's very easy to translate what they're saying over from English to Spanish. It, I've, like, I've, literally, like, like, the like, only difficult part. Is that it has two sounds that English doesn't use, and it and compared to, and the fact that it has like verb conjugation, which is yeah. why you're seeing my Spanish being at when I'm ta- when I'm trying try to pronounce the names of places and luchadors, absolutely butchered. So I apologize to every Spanish and and and, and Mexican. Uh, yeah, but the part the point is the point is we try. Have you ever have you, have you ever seen? Uh, it, it annoys me so much, right? I'm not from the Balkans, <laughs> but I have a better grasp on Balkan names than a, than any NBA announcer or presenter I have oh, ever seen. Oh my sense. god! They 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 like it's like they think of it as like some mystical thing, and I'm like, no, it's not Jokic, it's Jokic. Okay, it's Jokic. It's amazing. It's not hard. You know, what? L- literally listen to the man say his own name and then try your best to copy it. It annoys me so much. You know I'm sorry. That I'm gonna get off my pedestal. Me, that reminds me a lot of the UFC commentators when they try to pronounce Khabib's name. Oh yeah, yeah. Khabib, Israel Adesanya. Yes. It it's France Francois Ngannou. We could, we could get. Oh man, we could, we could, we could go on about this for hours, yes. but it it, 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 eternally annoys me. But again, you have no excuses for Spanish and English in the in the United States. You have a Spanish announce table, okay? <laughs> well, did. well, did you did? Okay, 
Uh, but it was coated in a line of cocaine. But I digress. <laughs> All I'm saying, Hugo Savinovich really needs to curb his cocaine habit. I'm just saying. No, it's co- he's cooking. He's cooking. He's cooking. <laughs> anyway, no. Uh, this takes us to Brooklyn Free takeover in that match against Johnny Gargano, which Almas won, which solidified his role in becoming number one contender for the NXT Championship. And again, talking champion- up. Talking about cooking, this match cooks. They This would be the first of two matches that these guys would have. And this one does go under the radar of a few people because the, the, the one we'll talk about down the line, I think, definitely gets more applause. Oh, yeah, but they, 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 they knew what they had here. <laughs> Gargano, I was going to say, a lot of people do, and quite rightly so, knock on Gargano for doing too much. But when he's And that's right... because he does. And that is that's because, because he does. He does. <laughs> but when you're the right dance partner, he can actually pull out a very good match. That's all I'll say. Yeah. So that, of course, comes to then uh, champion Drew McIntyre. And the match is set up for the very first TakeOver War Games in November. Andrade Cien Almas versus Drew McIntyre. I went back and watched this match. And by God does this match. Fuck. <laughs> Honestly, like, it's one of those matches that you don't expect to, you know, not expect it to be as good as it does. It, it is. But by God, man, Andrade and Drew worked really well together on this one. And honestly, I think they did a great thing in being able to actually give the fans a twist they don't think no one was going to see in Andrade actually being successful. Um, after mm. Mc- after McIntyre performs a Claymore kick, uh, Zelina Vega places uh, Andrade's foot on the bottom rope. He attempts a second Claymore, but, uh, but Andrade is able to perform an elevated hammerlock DDT to get the free count in a very quick and very decisive win, shocking everyone and him becoming NXT champion. But honestly, I think it was the best move that they did because oh yeah they 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 knew what they could they knew what they could do here and they absolutely paid it with it in dividends because honestly i'm gonna say this right now in terms of nxt title reigns andrade's is less talked about than many others because let's go over some of the matches he had his first defense would be a takeover philadelphia and that second match against johnny gargano and yeah that someone cooked here Someone absolutely cooked here because these two just threw caution to the wind and decided to just have, again, knock seven bells of crap out of one. I wonder if Andrade was talking to Roosh during this point. I like to think he was, like, just before, like, maybe like the day before the match, he just had, like, he was just on the phone with Roosh for, like, four hours. So how do I cave this guy's head in? Yeah, basically, it's just him. It's just them trying to translate. It's just them trying to translate what what Andrade wants to do. Andrade just says one word, sangre, <laughs> and, <laughs> and just walks off. He also wants to translate the phrase "You go to hell, you die." Girl, you go to hell, you die. <laughs> right, no. This match was so well received that even Davey Meltzer gave it a five star rating, giving it the thank f- you, Meltman, making it the first match in NXT history to receive that uh, that um that five star rating. Now, come to January twenty eighteen, Andrade makes his very first appearance on the main roster, being in the Royal Rumble match at number seven. 
Um, he didn't stay for very long. He eliminated Kofi Kingston before being eliminated very quickly by Randy Orton. He would end up having a mixed tag match, a teaming with Zelina Vega to take on Gargano and Candice LeRae in a really good NXT house show match. Yeah. Apparently a lot of people rate that one quite highly in the in the house show tour. He would eventually retain that match, uh, retain against Johnny Gargano in the rematch after interference from Tommaso Ciampa. Because of course Champa, because of course Gargano and Champa are destined to do this. Yeah, they, they they're there and they're like, okay, it's it's time for your yearly Gargano Champa, everyone. <laughs> and eventually this would lead to takeover New Orleans. Andrade C and Almas ended up facing Alistair Black. Oh, I love this match. This match actually really does go really well. I really love the ending to this match in particular, where Zelina mm-hmm. Vega does her usual trying to interfere in the match by performing a top rope cross body to Alistair Black. Thing is, Alistair Black moves out of the way. I believe Andrade is the one that catches Zelina Vega. And yeah. uh, and Alistair Black does a black mass to Andrade whilst Andrade is still holding Zelina Vega. It goes crazy. <laughs> and uh, Alistair Black gets the win, thus ending the 140-day reign of Andrade. Honest, honestly, NXT having Andrade and Alistair Black in the same roster at that same period of time is just frankly illegal. Yeah, that was really? nuts. It was the, that that roster was. St- that, that roster just so went stacked. too crazy. <laughs> so damn stacked. So, so damn good. This would see Andrade eventually in the Superstar Shake-Up after WrestleMania being drafted to the SmackDown brand. Now, there's not really much I can say that goes on here this time. He was actually... A, his first feud would actually would be with Sin Cara, who tried to kind of... Of course, that connection is Mystico. Eventually, they would kind of try to... Um, reunite together, just be kind of like, hey, we remember each other. We were in that. And then, uh, the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem is though, is so much of it was just lost on the audience at the exactly. time. This because by this by this point, Sin Cara was just some dude. Uh, this would again end up having him have a beating Sin Cara on SmackDown and eventually having a dark match at the kickoff show at Extreme Rules. Though he would eventually have a really good one-off match against uh, then champion WWE champion AJ Styles in a really uh, really good match between mm-hmm. the two. This would eventually see them have a rivalry with Rey Mysterio, where they had a couple of banger matches on SmackDown. I was gonna say was. there's this pe- there's this period uh, on like SmackDown. I think there's a bit on Raw as well, mm. like later that might have even been like 2019-ish. Yeah. Where Rey Mysterio and Andrade were just like, now nah, we're just gonna go crazy for like twelve minutes at a time. Yeah, like they like... just they just start having ladder matches. Like Rey Mysterio starts popping out Canadian feel... destroyers. Yeah, like... Rey Mysterio saw Andrade and just had one word on his lips, and that was finally. The two of them meeting was just like they just saw each other and were just like. We know what we must do. And then Andrade just like takes a sunset flip through a ladder. And it's just like, oh my God, yes. And you know what's the best thing? No one could tell them otherwise because they were going to do it anyway. Exactly. That's the lucha way, goddammit. <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing, though. They're just, they're, there's just a point where Andrade and uh, Ray just have these 
banger matches just for no reason. They have like ladder matches on Raw and stuff. Exactly, exactly. This rivalry, of course, would end or kind of culminate in indeed in 2019 when then United States champion Rey Mysterio uh, and Andrade would have a, uh, an amazing match at Madison Square Garden where Andrade would end up winning the US Championship for the very first time. Uh, he would successfully uh, retain those uh, retain the title against Mysterio in two different rematches on two episodes of Raw in January. Yeah, um, those are probably the ones I'm thinking about. They go crazy though; like they're they're really good TV matches. They have a real like they have a real like 2002 SmackDown feel about they, them. They really, really do. Um, talking of that SmackDown feel. His first pay-per-view title defense would be at the Royal Rumble, where he would defeat the new, uh, the new uh, lucha in in new luchador in the house, Humberto Carrillo. Uh, to retain. God, God bless Humberto Carrillo. Yes, dude, they tried. He, they... he got really lost in the shuffle. Bad. Yeah, he, you know, he he absolutely got shagged. He really did, and I feel no fault of his own. I think him and oh no, there, no there's no like... fault of his own at all. He just doesn't fit. <laughs> exactly. I mean, him and Angel Garza, I think, just really have gotten the short end of the stick. Talking, they have. Garza, though, before we get to that, though, Andrade was suspended for thirty days for violating the wellness policy. <laughs> Woo! Um, hey. Lucha, Lucha, Lucha. <laughs> This brought Zelina Vega to bring up her close associate, new associate, Angel Garza, who, if you don't know, Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza, they're cousins in IRL. So there you go. That they, 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 This would end up with them two feuding. Eventually, this would lead to uh, Carrillo and Andrade reigniting their feud, eventually with Andrade having a defense against Carrillo once again, successfully retaining the championship. They were scheduled at this time, though. Andrade and Angel Garza were looking and zoning in on the Street Profits, who were then Raw Tag Team Champions, to get to face one another for the championships at WrestleMania 36. But do you know, guys, what happened to WrestleMania 36? Uh, I believe uh, I believe that um, a giant Panasonic TV landed on Earth. Yes. <laughs> And everyone was shut in from the, from the entire world. Yeah. TV would go off. But no, it's because... There are other TV brands available in case you're interested. So on top of that, on top as well of Andrade uh, removed from the match due to an injury, that match was changed in haste. And who should replace Andrade? Austin Theory? <laughs> can, can, can I... If, if this was a video podcast, I would ask you to now... Put in the, uh, the the what was he cooking, meme reply. Yes, because I I, I got nothing for you, chief. <laughs> All I'll say about the one. Thing Normally, I'm... I feel like I can understand the mind of what happens in wrestling. I cannot understand this at all. I have no idea. If you remember, the only thing of note about this tag championship match was that Montez Ford ate shit whilst doing a tope, yeah a tope con Hilo. This is this is the one where he was supposed to have people catch him, and then like no one was there, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, no. He just he just, he just goes for a toe pair, just straight flat backs onto the onto the floor. Good snap, good snap, <laughs> <laughs> good snap, kid. <laughs> so this would lead eventually. He would come back a couple of weeks after, and Zelina Vega and Andrade would form an alliance with Angel Garza and Austin Theory to create a new faction. 
Again, again, what were they cooking? <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Although, the good, I guess they had good hindsight because they kicked Fury out of the faction about a month after. <laughs> so... <laughs> was the, we don't know what to do with Austin Fury, but we feel like he should be on TV. Eventually, he would lose the United States Championship, ending his reign at 151 days to Apollo Crews on the May 25th episode of Monday Raw. He would eventually have a rematch with Cruz at the Backlash, uh, but it would be unsuccessful in that juncture due to interference, failed interference from Angel Garza. He would form he would form a team with Garza, trying to capture the tag championships here and there. Uh, eventually, his last and final appearance would be when the Fiend and Alexa Bliss would make their debut on Monday Night Raw. Beating up Gaza and Andrade. What a mythical intersection of people! <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? Like that—that that sounds insane to me. Because a, that's reminding me of the Fiend and Alexa Bliss story. Yeah, which but... some somehow I managed to partially forget. <laughs> um, the powers of repression are strong with this one, aren't they? Just um, <laughs> but. The fact that that was his last appearance on WWE TV. So, originally, Creative had nothing for him. Hence why he was gone from October up to about... When he requested his his first... For the first time, requested release in March of 2021. Which was initially denied. Uh, but after Andrade, being Andrade, and I can't fault him for this, being incredibly pissed off and taking to Twitter... To note how incredibly pissed off he was at WWE and everything they stood for and what they did to him, WWE acquiesced and granted his release on March the 21st. You've Again, all... frank, frank, frankly, I am unimpressed. He should have gone to, he should have gone to CMLL and worked a show under a mask. He damn well should have. He, he actually, no, he should have gone to Triple R, which is what he did. What he did. Before we get that to that, though, I will say this about his time in WWE. It should have been more. It needed to be more. It's a shame that they didn't realise who they who they had in Andrade. I think he would have been one of the best damn heels on the main roster if they'd given him the chance to. Uh, if they really doubled down on his work uh, with Zelina. He's English, yeah. but far better. So oh, I yeah. can't see why they didn't do anything with him. Apparently Paul Heyman who at the time was one of the uh, executive directors. Uh, remember that time where they had directors for Raw and SmackDown? And yeah. Paul Heyman was... He was very high on, on Andrade and wanted to actually make it work with him, but was always... Bro, they had, the, they had the thing where they were like, we're going to give Paul Heyman control of Raw. And then we all heard the reports like Andrade, um, Alistair Black, and like guys like that were going to be like the main features. And we were like, oh, we're so ready. And I swear like two months later, he got removed from the post. Yeah, he <laughs> no, he absolutely did. That's that's the crazy thing about that. But if we can say that he won on one thing, I guess the one win, and probably the best win that Andrade ever did, was meet Charlotte Flair. Yeah. Yeah. The game is the game. And thus, I believe... I mean, they've been in a very happy relationship during twenty since twenty twenty, and are currently married as of this recording. I mean, I've I've heard rumors, <clears throat> rumblings of every so. I mean, I don't know if I don't know day. if Andrade's still like mad horny tweeting, 
I cannot I, necessarily confirm or deny. I imagine he is going strong. I imagine he's probably going strong. The guy, the guy, he he seems like he'd be a wife guy. He seems like he'd be a wife guy. Oh, yeah, he, oh no, does. straight up, straight up, like bro would just like straight up just post pictures that are like, okay, I see where they're at. <laughs> Basically, are you trying to say that... Andrade... Bro, probably gave away too much at times. Are you trying to say that Andrade basically is the Gomez Adams of professional wrestling? Oh, absolutely! In a, in absolutely. A way, in, a way, in a way, yes, but far more horny. Yes, yes. Which, for Gomez Adams, is impressive. So, this, do you know what this also means, though, uh, Dan? And this will make you laugh. Um, not only is Ric Flair his father-in-law, but, um, but Conrad Thompson is his brother-in-law. Wow. My God. That's... <laughs> Just a weird familial connection, isn't that? <laughs> yeah. The, man, kind of... the podcast king of, of wrestling YouTube is also the brother-in-law of Andrade. I mean, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Indeed. Right, this brings us to his time in AEW and Lucha Libre. Triple R worldwide. Let's start with Triple R as a matter of fact. May of 2021, he would appear in a video package during the Rey de Reyes show, making his intentions clear. He is going for Kenny Omega and he wants the Triple R Mega Championship. And that is going to take place at Triple Mania 29. At the event, Famously, Andrade was accompanied by Ric Flair to the ring and defeated Kenny Omega in quite convincing fashion to become the new Triple R Mega Champion. Again, very, again, a really cool sight to see. I think a lot of people were very hyped. A lot of people were expecting him to go back to CMLL. So the surprise of him coming to Triple R made it all but confirmed that he was going to go to AEW as their relationship between those two companies was quite tight at that moment. Talking of AEW, just a couple of months later, he would debut in the June twenty uh, June 4th, 2021 episode of Dynamite under the name of Andrade El Idolo, managed by Jose the Assistant. He allied himself with Vicky Guerrero, of all people. Yeah, but that's when they were going through their... They were going through a whole weird period. I don't know what the fuck was up with that. True. Very true. Although I will say that this ended up... De this this kind of affiliation did end up with actually something... An affiliation which I think should have worked. Should have gone on for a lot longer, but it didn't. Where he had Chavo Guerrero Jr. as his consultant. And I think there was... The, that, that... Like Jose, Andrade and Chavo... That, that little thing cooked... That really did cook, especially when Andrade began that feud with Pac and the Death Triangle, leading to a match on Rampage, which Andrade won. But shortly after that match, he attacked Chavo, ending their partnership. Eventually, though, Andrade would end up having matches here and there. He would have that really, really awesome hardcore match with Cody Rhodes, which would see the flaming table spot, which burned Cody's back something fierce. Yeesh. That was awesome. Andrade continued just having banger sleeper matches after banger sleeper matches. And his last kind of high credit kind of match that he's had or feud was the Casino Ladder match for the opportunity for the AEW World Championship, which was eventually won, of course, by Hangman 
Adam Page. Since then, Andrade's been... What's the word? Vibing. Vibing, I'd I say. I'd simply vibing, honestly. I think there's... Uh, his time in AEW has been weird. Because he he definitely does deserve more. But he's just not been given the opportunity to do that, if you know what I mean. I mean, his last mm. match, as a matter of fact, was on... Uh, was on Collision in July where he had that really good match against Buddy Matthews, which, by the way, mm -hmm. if you've not seen, go and see it. That ladder match absolutely goes because I think even Buddy Matthews was like, yeah, fuck it, man. I'm just, I, 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 I just want to go nuts. <laughs> uh, Buddy course, Matthews just stares saying, don't you just want to go ape shit? Of course, of, of course, we can't be remiss, of course, talking about the Flair family and not talk about him being a part of Ric Flair's last match in that really weird tag match between him, Flair, and Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett, which would see... It's a, Rick, it, is, it is, in fact, a thing. Which would see Ric Flair fake a heart attack not once, but twice. See, I question the validity of the word fake there. Yeah, same, I really same, question that. Really, it's doing heavy yeah. lifting for me. That's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with Dan. <laughs> So he's simply been vibing, but it hasn't been the easiest time in AEW as a as as Andrade um, has drawn the ire of a couple of people there. Um, more so, Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara, who, for all intents and purposes, is is from what I've heard. I can't confirm because I've never met the guy. Never been backstage. He's a bit of a Dick. I feel like he's just one of those people one of those people that people just end up getting gets up ends up getting on the wrong side of people even if he doesn't necessarily mean it. Like I think Eddie Kingston swung for the fences towards him, which fair play, Eddie. I think he's the he's the very one of those few people that can detect bullshit from a five in a five mile radius. Uh, and I guess Andrade, and I guess Andrade has that same uh, radar as well. <laughs> but what I will say about that whole thing is that Andrade, it, Andrade's time in AEW has been weird. But I, again, it's that one thing. Is I, I just bloody hope. I, I just bloody hope it goes more well for him because he deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. He's that sort absolutely. Of, I mean, he's. For crying out loud, he's thirty-three. For crying out loud, he's got a hell of a, he's got more of a career ahead of him than most wrestlers this today's day and age have. Do something with the guy, especially yeah. now that he's he's got Roosh by his side. Yeah, and, and it's like the guy looks better than ever. His whole package is better than ever. It's just it's just like, well, we're waiting. Do something cool. I mean, we've both it's, now signed full time to AEW, I feel like, guys, come on, I know you've you've done it here and there when you've brought the ungovernables back here and there in AEW, and I believe they are they are teasing an ungovernable style faction, what with um uh I believe with uh um Realistico and with um well I wanna say number ten, I forgot his name. Um Dan Preston Vance. Preston Vance, that's the one. Yes, and Jose the assistant. Go on, throw Andrade in there. 
Oh yeah, yeah, no, just just again, right? Even if he's like just a collision guy, I mean, a my hope is that with collision they just give Daniel Bryan the book. At this Brian point Daniels now, I whatever, feel like right? I just, feel like just collision... give him the book, right? And then just, literally give him the book, let him cook. Yes. Because if anyone will know what to do with Andrade, Danielson's the one. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Just let just let him and Roosh just go around, beat the crap out of people, have some really angry lucha matches, invite like a couple luchadors over every so often, like they did with the six man. Yes. Right? Just like let us just, just let us have like a ten minute um Andrade versus Drago match. Even though he's not called Drago anymore, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 all we need. Basically, I'm looking forward to the time where Roosh becomes AEW champion and runs rough. Oh, absolutely. With with Andrade absolutely being there, Dude, simply give, vibing. Give me, give me, um, give me, um, give me Andrade versus um, John Moxie for the International. Oh, Ooh. that would be that would Ooh. that would right oh. cooking oh. right. Give give me um give me some give me some Andrade ROH matches Andrade Samoa Joe ROH. I don't even know what some what Andrade Roosh Samoa, Samoa Joe for the ROH is a separate topic. I want that, but like you know, we 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 can cook. We can cook here. It, it's there. They just need to pull Hell, the trigger. Andrade. Um, I mean, this is just this is just me saying it because they money. Give me Andrade Shibata. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes, please. I want that all the time, every time. Andrade versus literally any other member of the BCC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, the but the potential's there. They just got to run with it. The potential, the potential's absolutely there. And if they, if they, I mean, to be fair, it's very interesting about AEW. If they get out, like, out of their own ass about their the people they work with, yeah, the the AEW Triple R combo show. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. I know we got get him on, door. get him on, get him on Forbidden Door. Get him on the sh- get him get a show like once maybe once a year once every so often get a bunch of triple R guys in. Why not at this point? Why just the AEW not? Lucha Night? I'd watch it in a heartbeat. We'd all watch that. Yeah, <laughs> we are we are precisely that kind of crowd. Damn yeah, right. damn right. Right, it, it all all the things are there to make it work. You just got to make it work. Exactly. Exactly. Hell, give do do. I don't even care if they do a WWE and give us a give us a five match Buddy Matthew series. I'll watch it because I know I know it will cook. <laughs> so I guess we can end this with just kind of like Andrade. I'm, I'm sorry. Of... I'm sorry. An idea just came into my head. Cool. LFI versus the House of Black. Let it cook. Yes. Oh. oh. Yeah. Roosh versus Brody King, though. Oh, oh, Tony, if you're listening, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take like literally like fifty quid for this. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, that's chump change in it. That's chump change for you, Tony. You know you want it. Yeah, he ain't gonna worry a single thing about that. Come on. 
But we can, no, we can talk. We can talk. I think we can end it by saying that there's potential, and they're all and like his career has been. I don't. It, it's it's been great. But I don't think we've seen the fullest potential of Uncharted. Yeah, and that's the bit that irks me. It's like, guys, it, it, it's the right thing of there. knowing knowing where the ceiling is and not reaching it exactly. is, yeah. is the problem. And I think that's unfortunately the thing that's going to kind of define him, which is mm. he's been a massive name, but hasn't had the stuff to go along with it. But I think he's constantly been stuck in a situation where he can't have it. Gosh, I hope we're proved wrong. That's the only I thing I so. say. I hope oh, so. Oh, I hope so. Oh, I hope so, definitely. But uh, no, that is... I think that's the, probably the best way to wrap the episode up, if you ask me. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that was a fun old episode, if you ask me. I very much enjoyed that, fellas. Uh, we are rocking. We are going to still keep rolling with Hispanic Heritage Month because next episode, we are going to be talking about the life, career, and the infamy of Sin Cara. This is going to be a deep one. This is actually going to be kind of a deep this one is, for me. I, I, I'm not even joking. This is going to go into so many layers. It's yeah. unreal. This, this might be. We could talk this one about how WWE persists on trying to capitalize on Rey Mysterio's legacy. And failing to understand why they got it in the first place. <laughs> and also about how WWE has a structural failing when it comes to people from different backgrounds. This is going to make me so sad. I'm going to be so sad this, this that episode. Yeah, especially when I have to talk about his, um, well, his infamous botching, basically. <sighs> Just wait till we get to the Sin Cara versus Sin Cara match. Oh, please don't. Oh, oh please don't. That's all, all right. coming up in the next episode. We'll make that the next episode. That's all coming up in the next episode. Until then, I have been Sam, this has been Dan and Reardon, and you've been listening to the Sweet Chin Rank Podcast. We will see you, as always, on the next one. Bye, everybody! Bye-bye! See ya! Sing the room, sing the room.